and welcome to the latest Royal Automobile Club podcast in association with Motorsport magazine. My name's Simon Aaron, I'm the features editor of Motorsport and I'm joined today by two of the most distinguished voices in British motor racing. On my right, Alan Hyde will be familiar to anyone who's attended his pit interviews and reports rounds of the British Touring Car Championship will be, will be very familiar and at other events as well. On my left, one of the greatest voices I would say there has ever been, if not the greatest voice there has ever been in motorsport, Murray Walker, a great welcome to the Royal Automobile Club. I can see how you got on, Simon. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you very much. That's very kind of you. <laughs> but, I mean, one of the reasons we're here today, we're in what used to be called the television room here at the, the club. And as it says on the tin, it's a place where members could come down, come, come in, sit down, relax and watch TV. That's it. And it's, it's been completely refurbished. It looks wonderful. And it's now, henceforth, going to be known as the Murray Walker television room, which is a fantastic tribute, not least because in this wonderful club with all the fantastic rooms and libraries and furnishings, etc., there has only previously been one room named after a, a motor racing figure, which is Henry Seagrave. Now, he achieved quite a lot behind the wheel. You've got no Grand Prix wins, no fastest laps, no pole positions, and you stalled the McLaren in the pit lane at Silverstone once. Lots of appearances. Yeah. Uh. But yeah, many, many appearances. <laughs> but you, you've joined Henry Seagrave as one of the two people. That's a fan. You must feel incredibly honoured. It's a great sign of the affection which you're held by Simon, the Simon, I'm supposed to be good with words, but it's the way I've made my living. I find it, I genuinely find it very hard indeed to find the right words to say how pleased I am and proud I am about the room that we're sitting in. Uh, my father belonged to the club. <coughs> uh, he had the club badge on his Lagonda. I used to work at St. Two St. James's Square, just across the road from where we're sitting now. Uh, and I joined the club. And uh, I used to come across here and play squash in the days when I could move around quickly or quicker. And I used to swim here. And the, RA, the Royal Automobile Club is one of the linchpins of worldwide motorsport. And to have a room named after me is beyond my wildest hopes and ambitions. And there's not going to be any doubt about whose room it is, because when you walk in, there's going to be a sill plate at the door there which says, Murray Walker TV room. Yeah, I, I know about that because I fell over it when I came in for the first time. Which I, you were the sprightly 95 and a half years old. You missed it. You, were, you, you, you came in cleanly. cleanly. Um, and one of the other things that makes it unmistakably a Murray Walker room is the fact that uh, sprinkled around are all sorts of artefacts, things that you've accumulated over the years through the generosity of others. There's a Jaguar nose, nose cone, which is beautifully inscribed from the early 2000s. And just to the uh, top left as the camera's looking over my shoulder, it's one of the original Indianapolis bricks from the, spe from the Speedway, which the Speedway president, Tony George, presented you in 2001. I mean, I, I was at that presentation in the paddock at Indianapolis, and um, as with the room being named after you, it's one of the few occasions when I've seen you genuinely sort of starstruck, lost for words. Yes, uh, it, it, it was an intensely moving occasion. I didn't really know what it was all about when we went over there. 
But when we walked in, there were all these chaps from all the teams and Bernie Ecclestone and Flavio Briatore and Tony George, the boss of Indianapolis and all the other crowned heads of Formula One, right down to blokes who blew the tyres up uh, and Michael Schumacher. So I thought, well, if it's good enough for Michael Schumacher, it's good enough for me. So I went and sat next to Michael and uh, Tony Jardine was doing the Master of Ceremonies and he was getting all sorts of people like David Coulthard and uh, others to come out and he'd give him a piece of paper on which something I was supposed to have said, supposed to have said, I emphasise, uh, was written and they had to read it out imitating me. So he gets Michael up, gives him a piece of paper and on this piece of paper is written, here comes Michael Schumacher, son of Ralph Schumacher, which I certainly did not say. Uh, and Michael looks at me and puzzled and said, uh, I don't understand, uh, what am I supposed to do? I said, you're supposed to read that the way I said it. He said, but when you said it, I was in the car and I couldn't <laughs> hear you. So I said, come on, Michael, we'll do it together. I put my arm around him and I've got a lovely photograph at home of the two of us smiling at the camera. Uh, lovely bloke. For that. And then afterwards he said, I would like Murray Walker to interview me. And as you know, Michael Schumacher didn't do interviews for a long time. So I was very proud and blessed about that too. And amongst the other stuff that's in here, one that particularly intrigues me, there is um, a McLaren front wing end plate, uh, which the whole team at the time signed, the Formula One team. Um, I gather there's quite an interesting story about how that came to be in your possession. Surprisingly, Simon, there is, yes, yes. Um, at the time, it was uh, in the early 2000s and Ferrari were sweeping all before them, winning everything. And I was giving Ferrari a lot of praise, justifiably. And a letter arrived one day from McLaren, from Martin Whitmarsh, who was the boss. And it said, the gist of what it said was, uh, Dear Murray, here at McLaren we're very proud and pleased at the success of our Ferrari rivals, but you don't seem to have absorbed the success that we've had in the past. Could I invite you to come to working, take a tour of the factory and re-meet your old friends here? So I go down there and in the reception area, there's Joe Ramirez, George Langhorn, a couple of other people. We go around the factory and as if by magic, every time I walked into a department from behind a pillar or somewhere, someone would appear who I knew. Hello, Murray, what are you doing here? I said, I know why I'm here, you know. Why's that, he says. I'm here to be brainwashed, I said. Yes, he said, that's right. <laughs> so I was brainwashed and I gave a lot of attention to McLaren afterwards. And they gave me that rear wing end plate which they have all signed. And that was a, a typically human jest, gesture. Some, something which people don't... Yeah, pe people McLaren, think or thought that McLaren was a grey organisation because that was Ron Dennis's fa favourite colour. <laughs> uh, but it's not like that at all. They're a lovely lot. There's just one more um, I'll, I'll ask you about before we move on. There's a Michael Turner print up there of... Um, that's a, that's a of Michael... Mike, 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 of Mike, Mike Halewood. Just... I know you were a great admirer of Mike Halewood. I think you were friends as well, weren't you? I was a great friend yeah, of Mike. What we, are your memories of Mike Halewood? Uh, I wanted that to be here because people associate with me with Formula One. 
But from 1949 until 1993, I was the BBC's motorcycle commentator for, a lot, for a part of that time with my father. And probably the most exciting and rewarding mentally time I had was when Mike was racing, because he was a, a one-off well, like there's never been before, with the possible exception of Valentino Rossi. Uh, Mike was a lovely bloke. He was laid back. He didn't care about anything very much but he rode a motorcycle like a genius. And he won so many TTs and undoubtedly the most exciting race I have ever seen in my life was the 1967 senior TT when Mike Halewood and Giacomo Agostini were battling for supremacy on the Honda and MV bikes respectively. I won't bore you with all the details, but it was a fantastic race. Alan, you're a commentator. What kind of an inspiration Murray and others, for you, when you, were, when you were sort of kind of growing up as a cub commentator? Massively. Um, uh, Murray has said to me in interviews before that people invited you into their living rooms. So you were part of the family, part of the house for that day. And it's true, that's what happened with my mum. My mum had a passing interest in motorcycle racing from when she was younger, but not really an interest in car racing, which I did have an interest in. And Murray was friendly, he explained things, and she became a, a fan of Grand Prix racing because, exactly as you say, Murray, you brought it into the family. The, f the friendly part of your commentary was an integral part, and I, I have to say, I've tried to, to, to carry that, that feature on with what you're, I do. Uh, you're, you're a privileged visitor to, to people's homes. Mm. They can turn you off mm. if they don't like you. Mm. Uh, and I always tried to remember that I was talking to people who weren't necessarily passionate about Formula One or motorcycle racing mm. like I was, but who ought to be educated, if you'd like to put it that way, about the ins and outs and the personalities and the quirks of the machinery and all the rest of it. They're human beings and they should be talked to like that. The other thing that you did, Murray, that uh, I have huge respect for, um, and that, uh, once again, I hope I have as well, is you respected every driver, every rider you ever spoke about or talked to. Uh, I do, because I certainly couldn't do half the job that they do, but wherever they were, wherever they were in the championship, wherever they were on the grid, you had ultimate respect for Alan, everyone. You, you know, and I know, that even the lowliest driver in the back row of a Formula One grid or the back row of a motorcycle grid is, is, a, is a, a, bit, a bit of real talent. Uh, that was a talent I didn't have enough of. I had some talent yeah. and I... I rode competitively in six-day enduros and one-day trials, and I did a bit of racing, but I was never, ever going to be at the Mike Haywood or the Graham Walker, my father's level. Uh, and that's, you know what they say, those that can, do, and those that can't, talk about talk it. Talk about it. So, but, so or, or write about <laughs> it. Or write <laughs> but the one, the one question from a commentary point of view that I'd love to ask you, and, I, uh, and that I've never asked you, when you started, uh, obviously, it's, it, some people have a, a, a natural ability to be able to talk about something, but what was the, the biggest challenge about taking your knowledge and conveying it to other people? What was the, the biggest challenge of becoming a commentator? Um, 
knowing when to stop, probably. <laughs> probably, probably, probably. I mean, I had a lot of uh, co-commentators. I had uh, Jackie Stewart was a co-commenter of mine. Graham Hill was a co-commentator of mine. So was Barry Sheen in the motorcycle world. So was Jody Schechter. Uh, so was Alan Jones. Uh, so was Jonathan Palmer. And of course, Martin Brundle. And of course, of course, of course, James Hunt. Uh, so I had a lot of people to work with and they all had very different personalities and I just tried to adjust to them. Did you always commentate standing up? Always, Simon. It's this, uh, uh, I, I was talking to, as you do, a chess specialist once. Obviously, yeah. And uh, I, I mentioned that I stood up to talk. He said, yeah, there's a physical reason for that. He said, if you commentate sitting down, you sit with a microphone like this and you're slumped and your lungs are deflated. But he said, if you stand up, your shoulders go back and your lungs are inflated <laughs> and you can speak much louder. <laughs> so so the, the, the kind of Murray, Murray Walk, Walker's signature excitable commentary is down to, down to chess. Sort of. Probably, And enthusiasm, I hope. Yeah, well, I mean, but I asked the question because I, I lap-charted for you once, Brands Hatch Formula Ford Festival in the mid-1980s, and I, it, was, it, was, it was a wonderful experience, but you're dancing around to my right, I think you were, you know, you're, and you're busy pointing to, to no one in particular, and I'm sort of ducking while trying to keep a lap-chart, and, you're, <laughs> and you're, you're skipping around. And, oh, but you were, you, were, you, were so, you were so involved in the whole thing, it was a privilege to watch Simon, it. Simon, they talk about things getting, uh, people getting in the zone. Uh, well, I got into the zone when I'm normally quite a calm, dispassionate bloke. But put me in front of a competitive motorsport thing, uh, and something happens. Uh, and I become passionately involved in communicating to the people who are looking at the screen I'm talking to, and they're looking at as well. Uh, and yes, I always stood up because I moved about the box a lot, I gesticulated. Yes. James Hunt always used to sit down a sort of sullen heap alongside me and uh, gesture for them. I, I have to, I'm now mature enough, Simon, to just confess that I must have been very difficult to comment, to be a co-commentator for because I wanted the microphone. I had so much to say and I was so enthusiastic about saying it. So I didn't want any interruption from James Hunt or Jackie <laughs> Stewart or anybody else. I wanted to give it plenty. I mean, I know it's a story that's been told many times, but you, you did come very close to thumping James, didn't you? I, uh, <laughs> on one occasion, when I was standing up and James was sitting down, he thought the old boy had been talking long enough. He caught hold of the microphone wire and pulled it, and the, the lip mic flew out of my hands into his, and he goes on talking about the race. <laughs> and I was... Livid, uh, and I actually, yeah, I had my arm fist back to give him a Faulkner one, <laughs> sitting down. And Mark Wilkin, who was the producer, looked across. He said, <laughs> "So I didn't, and the, uh, our friendship was retained." We, we, we've got to wrap up fairly shortly. So, are there any events? I mean, I know you've covered a multitude of things. Are there any events on which you haven't commentated, but you wish you had? And still time. Snooker. 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 I um, 
If you can think of anybody less suitable to commentate on snooker than me, <laughs> then I can't, but I would love to. And uh, I was uh, on the Jeremy Clarkson show. He had a, a chat show called Clarkson once. Yes. And he came into the green room before it began and he said, look, um, is there anything you haven't done that you'd like to do? Snooker, I said, I'd like to do a bit of snooker. He said, well, he said, there's only 10 minutes. He said, if we can find a clip, uh, will you do it live, unseen? And I said, yeah, OK. So he puts the clip on and I say, uh, oh, here comes Steve Davis. They call him boring <laughs> Steve Davis. And he's picked up his special carbon fibre cue, which has got a special tip on it and chalk that you've never seen anywhere else before. Which ball is he going to hit? Is he going to hit the white ball or the red ball? <laughs> I would have lasted about 10 seconds, I think. It's not, it's not quite the measured turns of Ted Lowe, is it? <laughs> no. But in, in, term, in terms of motor racing, were there any events, I don't know, Bathurst or anything? You, did, I've done Bathurst. You, okay, obviously done Bathurst, Bathurst twice, um, yes. I mean, were there uh, were any events that you, you really would like to have done? Um, crumbs. Uh, uh, I've, done, I've done most of them. Uh, touring cars, uh, Formula 5000, all the rest of them. Um, I'm struggling to think, Simon. If it were, had been possible... I would love to have done commentary from Sterling Moss's spe seats, passenger seat in the Mi Amelia. Well, instead of Jenks? Instead of yeah. Jenks, yes. I don't suppose for a moment Sterling would have reached Brescia <laughs> or Rome or wherever it was supposed to be. But, but I would have enjoyed it while I was doing it. <laughs> um, Great answer. You, I mean, you, you've been watching the sport from the 30s through to the 2010s. Do you have a favourite... I mean, I know you're passionate about everything, but do you have a favourite decade, a time when you thought... Looking with, with the benefit of hindsight, you think that's probably as good as it well, got? Well, uh, for me, Simon, taking my age and into account, it's definitely the, the, the 80s. because you had Nigel Mansell, Nelson Piquet, Alain Prost, Ayrton Senna all racing against each other, world champions, uh, and a lot of needle uh, between the four of them. And it was a great time. 1,400 brake horsepower qualifying engines right, and so on right. and so forth. And it was, a, it was a great time to be talking about the sport, particularly because Britain was doing so well. Uh, I've worked with you on uh, quite a few events in recent years, Murray, particularly the Goodwood Festival of Speed, where you cannot walk 100 metres without getting stopped endlessly by um, lots and lots of people of all sorts of different generations that just want to say hello and, and, and have a photograph taken with you. I guess a lot of people over a lot of years have asked you a lot of questions. What's the most asked question that you've ever had from the public? Is it about working alongside James Hunt in the commentary box? Is it about your love of... Nigel Mansell era of Formula One. Is Lewis going to be world champion again? I think probably. Is that the most yes. one at the moment? Yes. yes. That's the most popular. Yes. Um, very talented young man and he's probably going on to be mm. the greatest of all time in terms of statistics. Mm. Whether he's the greatest of all time in terms of all the things that make a great racing driver is a matter of opinion. Mm -hmm. But he's 
Certainly one of the best. Special. Mm. Do you still watch current day Formula One with the same enthusiasm that you've always had for the sport? Yeah, people think I sit in a study and throw bricks at the television set if it's not doing what I want it to do. But I don't actually, Simon. I sit there very calmly and dispassionately and watch it all happen. Uh, if my wife comes in, I don't ask her to leave the room, but uh, you know, I like to concentrate. I don't want to be there with a lot of people hooping and shouting about it. I just want to take it all in. Because Formula One is an actually a very difficult sport to follow. If you if you are a tennis fan or a football fan, you can get a good drift of what's happening without the sound at all. But you show somebody a Formula One race without any sound, without somebody telling them what's happening, that here's blogs coming in for the third time to change from ultra soft to ultra hard tyres and fill up the petrol tank at the same time or whatever, you're lost, you don't know. Commentators, this is going to sound a big he bit big-headed, I don't mean it to, but I think that commentators matter more in motorsport than in any other sport. Well, particularly in this era when it is as ab absurdly technical, but it is so in intricately technical uh, in a way that almost no other sport yes, is. Yes, and particularly, thank God, I, t I, t I tell you, I would not be sitting here talking to Alan and yourself if social media had existed in my time because they would have had my guts for garters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they all make, make all these fuss about Murray's bloopers. The car in front is absolutely unique, except, except for the one behind it, which is identical. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the car except it's on fire. <laughs> but they would have had me for that. Yeah, I won't cut in with anything about cutting the tension with a cricket stump or anything like that, but it wouldn't be, wouldn't be fair. But I mean, just, I mean, that is... And again, that is another Murray signature and is one of the reasons the public love you because for all the passion and the information you gave them, just occasionally, you know, there'd be... Do you, do you look back on those things with a certain fondness? Yes, I do. Because uh, um, uh, when, when you are commentating, and Alan will back me up on this, uh, you haven't got time to think about, shall I say it this way or shall I say it that way? You say what comes into your head. And provided you've got a filter that stops you talking about anything obscenely or advertising, it comes out. And sometimes the wrong words come out, and sometimes they come out in the wrong order. Uh, but they are all—they all come from the heart. And if people take umbrage, I feel very sorry for them. I think mention, mention, mentioning mentioning heart is a good way on which to good note on which to bow out because. As I said earlier, the, the fact this room is named after you, is a, it marks the affection in which you're held by the whole nation for your contribution to motor racing over very many years. So, Murray, thank you for the time. It's been a great privilege. Thank, thank, you. You, ever, thank you ever so much. Thank you, Alan. Left thank hand. You, Sorry. Thank and um, we'll uh, look forward to welcoming you all to the next Royal Automobile Club talk show in association with motorsport very soon. <laughs>